everyone, and uh, welcome to the end of the world. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, this is the first uh, real perspective of 2020, and it's a heck of a time to have a movie podcast because movies don't exist anymore, you guys. <laughs> I think we're now exclusively a streaming TV show podcast. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we had to take some time off because MJ, me, had some health stuff, but I'm on the mend and doing better than ever. So, uh, mm-hmm. thanks for gonna get prison jacked. Gonna get prison jacked. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> um, we were recording this, uh, just to time capsule this. It is for us Californians day like three of shelter in place, uh, during the COVID 19 outbreak. So, uh, we're all on Skype. Um, so if the audio quality is a little varied, that's why. But as always, I'm uh, MJ Smith, and I'm joined by... Michael Moray. And Missy Lonsinger. What's up, guys? Hey. What's up? Anything <laughs> new going on? Definitely uh, nothing uh, noteworthy or newsworthy happening in the world right now. N- nope, definitely not. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we're just we're in quarantine. That's, that's fun. Yeah. 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 Try not to get infected or infect other people. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird, man. It was twenty twenty has been a crazy decade. Yep. <laughs> yep. Re- ready for the next one now. <laughs> yeah. Can we speed this along? I are are you guys like. Have you guys lost all sense of time completely? Yes. Um, well, I yeah, have. and I've well, I've only been like actually officially away from work for like a day, and mm-hmm. I've already completely lost track of what time it is. Yeah, I, I. So one of the things that's happening in the world right now is movies. Movie theaters aren't open, right? And, a lot of the studios are releasing their major releases to streaming and charging a premium to rent them, which is an A plus idea, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, and like Disney released Onward that way. And when I saw the announcement, I was like, "Oh, that's that's a good idea." Um, you know, that probably had made its money since it came out in mid February. And then I saw a Polygon article that was like, "That movie came out March 6th. Oh no! It it was March twentieth when I read that article, which is only two weeks later, and my brain melted out of my eyeballs. I, I was like, "Excuse me!" Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So it feels like it's been like six years since we've recorded a podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Does. I feel like every day I wake up, it's like that meme of Robin Williams from Jumanji, where he's like, "What year is it?" And that is me, like every moment of this stupid quarantine thing. Like, I, I have no sense of what... I, I didn't even know today was Saturday, honestly, until, like, an hour ago. <laughs> yeah, <I kept laughs> that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. on Friday, uh, for sure. It, like, tw- man, it's been, some stuff has happened since we last since we last spoke to you guys. But, yeah, uh, was it Rise of Skywalker? Rise of Skywalker was the last episode Jeez. we did in December of 2019. Man, that man, was pre Back when I had hope. Yeah, and then cats stole <laughs> from you. God. <laughs> Uh, that's available work. on digital you guys yeah. so, along with rise of skywalker guys along with yeah sweet netflix party watch yeah. cats oh yeah. man skywalker. double feature. Real perspective real perspective zoom cats watch party 
Yes. Freaking oh, down. No, no thanks. I don't want to end it all just yet. <laughs> I saw a tweet that said things have been off since cats came out. Just <laughs> truly. And I mean, ever since we learned the the new the news of all the stuff that's been removed from cats. God. I mean, I'd, holy moly. Um, version. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you guys don't follow Ben Meckler on Twitter or check in with him every once in a while, just go do that. I'll leave that yeah. for you to discover. We don't uh, need to get into it, yeah. yeah because <laughs> people people involved with the making of Cats are coming out of the woodwork to tell him about the making of Cats. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. It is, it's wild. This sounds yeah. like a To have yeah. been a part of that production. <laughs> Uh, but we're not here to talk about cats, unfortunately. We should probably do that because why not? Y'all saw it, yep. <clears throat> right? And uh, I mean, we don't want like our good work to go to waste. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and also, uh, I I've maintained this. I saw cats on Thursday. I went to the hospital for my health stuff on Monday. <laughs> I think not. Nope. I the don't think. What's that? The, the truth, truth is out there. there. <laughs> what is a frog? Um, have you guys seen that clip? No. I don't think so. It's David Duchovny on Celebrity Jeopardy with uh, Stephen King, huh. and the question, the answer to the question is, "What is a frog?" And so Stephen uh-huh. King answers, and he goes, "What is a frog?" And then you just hear David Duchovny go, "What is a frog?" And <laughs> someone put like, the X Files theme at the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> what? It's very strange because he just goes, "What is a frog?" Perfect. David Duchovny didn't know what a frog was. <laughs> anyway, uh, not here to talk about David Duchovny, but we are here to talk about a TV show. Um, we're going to talk. We're going to continue in the Star Wars universe, um, and we're going to talk about The Mandalorian season one. I know it came out like four months ago now, but hey, <laughs> that's the breaks. <laughs> Also, I have a seasonal allergy cough. Uh, for those of you who don't live where we live, allergies hit this area very hard for March through uh, like May. And that has made the time of coronavirus very interesting in this town. Yep. <laughs> yeah, all the side eye you get. <laughs> yeah, it was my entire Trader Joe's trip this morning was just holding in a cough. <laughs> yeah, I've been muting myself to cough because I, yeah. Yeah, want to give you Corona through the phone or allergies. Yeah, yeah. it's allergies. It, I promise. It's and I get it every year. It's like clockwork. Like from March through May, I have this cough, and yeah, this year it's just been like, is that is that the normal thing I get, or is it impending death? So right. Uh, yeah, so far a normal thing, but I'll keep you updated. I guess. Um, yep. Uh, I just got caught up with Mandalorian. I know you guys have seen it. Uh, did you guys watch it as it was released? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, so it's been. So while. we're we're gonna have yeah we're gonna have a couple different perspectives on it probably because uh, one that's half the name of the show and two um, I just very recently watched it and I watched it in sort of like the binge uh, order but I kind of want to start there so mm-hmm. uh, Disney released this week by week um, the way shows were traditionally released before the rise of streaming. And uh, as opposed to something where they release all, you know, eight to 12 episodes at once, like the Netflix Marvel shows or Stranger Things or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Did you guys find that it was? Do you guys have a preference as far as as release model um, for shows like week to week versus the the all at once binge binge model? Uh, Missy, you go first. Um, I actually don't mind it. Um, it's, I it, like it creates in me at least like more of a drive to want to see it. I'm more excited for the next week when it's coming up. Not that I don't love like binging things. Like I've done that before too, but that also like. Just me personally, if I can binge something for, like, an entire day or two, I will. And then I just feel like crap afterwards. So I'm like, well, that's cool. That just shows how much of a person I am that I can sit on the couch for, like, 28 hours. <laughs> but uh, so I, I kind of like that they forced me to wait. And also, I, I really do think that kind of forced, um, I don't know, delayed gratification can be a really good thing. It makes things, like, sometimes sweeter. So I, I liked it. Um yeah, every every Sunday or whatever night it was that it got released was always really exciting. So it, it made me like reminded me of older TV and like being excited for that night to like your favorite show to come on without the annoyance of like mm-hmm. commercials. So I liked it. I am usually of the personality that like I like to have something as quickly as possible, um, <laughs> as much of it as possible. So I usually like binging things. But that being said, um, I do think that this kind of demonstrated that there is some value in having things come out week by week. Because I agree with Missy. I was kind of looking forward to every Thursday or I think it was Thursday, right? Or Friday when it came I out. Have no, I thought it was Sunday. So clearly I was oh. <laughs> I think it was. I think it was Thursday or Friday. Dang yeah. it. Sunday was Game of Thrones. Oh, no, it was Friday. It was definitely Friday. It was, oh, yeah, it was Friday. Um, I remember like looking really forward to every Friday it would come out. But, um, I mean, there's a similar show that's going through this structure right now, and it's Star Trek Picard. And uh, I really also, thought you were going to say The Masked Singer. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Love is Blind. <laughs> I am looking forward to The Masked Singer because that's perfect trash television. But um, there's another streaming show that kind of goes with the same format that um, Mandalorian went through, and it's Picard. And, I mean, partially it's because Picard is, I think, not very good. Um, that... I'm actually having difficulty watching it week by week because I just I'm like, man, just get this crap over with. I just want to binge it and be done with it. Um, and, and so versus I feel like with The Mandalorian, I was looking forward to it every single week and I was enjoying every single episode for the most part. And, and it was more acceptable then. So I think it also goes and demonstrates that if it's good, I'll like it in any format. And if it's bad, I won't like it in any format. Sure. I think I know. Well. I, I get what you're saying, because that's how I felt, like, with Downton Abbey, the first, like, however many seasons, I was able to binge all of them, because I'd never seen it before, mm-hmm. and so I finally had caught up to, like, the last season, I think, and had to watch it every week, and I realized I didn't like watching it every week, because mm-hmm. Downton Abbey, in particular, has about 8,000 characters with, like, intricate storylines, and so mm-hmm. it was just too much, like, I had to watch it back to back to back to be like, uh, okay, what was happening with him again? Like, watching it with a week in between, it was too much. So I, I kind of agree with you on that. Um, and also the fact that if it's bad, yeah, it's not going to matter if you're binging it or watching it week by week. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's just one other thing about it, which is um, I think having things come week by week increases the length and the duration of the discussion around it. Yeah, sure. It, we had memes and conversation and hype for a, a, basically a good two months because of this. Uh, release yeah. model versus something like even stranger things i feel like that thing kind of just came and went and we were done talking about it within like a week or two yeah and that was the end of it so maybe there's some limitations to how binging has affected the way we talk about these things i hate the binging model um i really don't like it i'm not a binge watcher 
I I have a hard time sitting there. Like if I'm binge watching, I've just been exhausted of all my energy. Um, mm-hmm. So it it I so really the only binging like model shows that I like are kind of sitcoms or like 22 minute shows where I can just sit there and watch a bunch that are kind of like popcorny and um but something like stranger things where I have to pay attention episode to episode I can't binge that like mm. I get to I'm just like okay this is a lot of the uh, like the Peter Lawson uh <laughs> story it's a lot of the same flavor um especially with a show that like stranger things season three was pretty weak um yeah. And when the first season of Stranger Things, I think the binging model paid off. Oh, uh, yeah. Because yeah, for it sure. left you wanting, one, it's fantastic. And then two, it leaves you wanting more. So you want to walk, you want to keep watching it. Um, and then that generates just word of mouth because they didn't have marketing on that. But I do think that ultimately the week to week model is a little bit better as far as generating conversations i like everyone being current because then like you got to walk on eggshells at your job or whatever because mm-hmm. you don't know where people are in the season um you know if they do it the binge model but if if it's week to week like there's more of a chance that someone's watch one episode of ever of something instead of 12 over the course of the week and then like with hour-long shows like a 12 12 hours sitting there all weekend watching something i man i cannot do that yeah, uh, I feel like a piece of crap afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't. So, like I said, trash person is very clear to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just have a hard time doing that. Like, you know, I love movies, but more than like two in a row. And I'm like, all right, let's do something else. Um, and so I, I like the I like the week to week model. Obviously, I watched it after the week to week released. And I liked that, too, because I was kind of able to forget a lot of the cultural consciousness around it um so some of the things that were maybe very critical or or whatever about it i kind of forgot and i was able to i think maybe enjoy it a little bit more um all that to say i really freaking liked this episode this season of television i thought it was super solid um and i think the week-to-week model is really smart for something like this because when it's so, the, I think the season on the whole is pretty consistent episode to episode. Um, and so I think when you watch an episode that's good and then you want more of it, having to wait a week is good because you get excited for it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, because we watched it like two at a time, roughly over like four or five days. And it was always kind of something I was looking forward to. Um, one, in the middle of everything that's going on sure. and to just kind of like with the day-to-day, you know, stuff I have to deal with, of, of, like with the, the thing, the reasons people watch TV to like unwind at the end of the day, just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was always like, every time it was like, Oh, let's watch a couple more. It was good. But I also felt very satisfied watching two at a time and then being able to like set some aside for tomorrow. Sure. Um, so I think, I think that's, I don't know. I think that's the superior model. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time with stranger things, like season one, I was like, give me all this right now. Like I debated skipping <laughs> church that morning to, <laughs> to finish watching season one. So, um, I think it can work. I think, uh, I, th- I, th- I prefer week to week just because it's, it's easier for me to commit to that. Um, but I don't know. 
Um, so the show is follows a Mandalorian um, uh, in the Star Wars universe. Um, a Mandalorian is a tri- tribe of people. Mike, you're probably the better person to explain the Star Wars. <laughs> but uh, it's like a tribe of people who are like hunter mercenary types. Um, and they have like a special armor made out of a special material. And they very much take their like traditions and their their tribal identity very seriously. Um, Boba Fett is a Mandalorian or wears Mandalorian armor. One of the things we learn over the course of the show, um, like a being a Mandalorian isn't necessarily like a race you're born into, but it's something you can be brought into as well. Um, they're from the planet Mandalore. And uh, this one follows a specific Mandalorian who's just a bounty hunter. And we, we kind of see the outskirts of the, the Star Wars universe, um, which is where it all started, right? It started on Tatooine, which is, if you know, you're, your galaxy geography in Star Wars, it's an outer rim planet. Um, but this deals with the more day-to-day, almost like blue-collar people, because Star Wars is very political, right? Like the 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 overall, like, the Skywalker saga or whatever. It's very, very, it deals with a lot of people who are in, like, political power and, like, royalty and royal bloodlines and military might and things like that. And the Mandalorian is just, like, not that at all really um there's a little bit of that mm-hmm. but it and a little bit of that mainly because it's like a militaristic society just the galaxy of star wars but it it follows more arguably like blue collar people um and you just kind of see they call him mando in the show you you see mando just kind of do doing jobs just like getting his bounty hunter jobs and going to do those um mm-hmm. or like helping out random citizens on on planets that he goes to do his jobs um and then he eventually he uh he meets up with uh or he he takes a job where he has to rescue a child uh affectionately called by people who've seen the show baby yoda it's mm-hmm. a little baby that is uh of yoda species and that's the main thrust of the the rest of the show is him kind of protecting the the child is what they call him on the show. So protecting the child from uh, Werner Herzog of all people, who's <laughs> an imperial officer that wants to do like experiments or something on on the child for uh, uh, his like commanding officer. The, the show takes place five years after the Battle of Endor, so the Empire, as we know it, doesn't exist yet. The First Order has not come to power yet. Um, so that's sort of the Mando, the, the Mandalorian show. It's kind of an adventure of the week series. So different stuff happens in each episode and there's maybe four of the eight episodes actually have like the main thrust of the plot. Um, so what did you guys think about the Mandalorian season one? All right, Missy, you go. Um, I also really liked it. Um, I was, I don't know. I was honestly nervous that Jon Favreau is like, heading it because he can be hit and miss with me or hit or miss with me um and just because i mean i I think any star wars fan and i hate being like oh the two star wars fans but i feel like any like star wars fan should be trepidatious going into anything disney is releasing now just because the the skywalker saga like took such awful turns like consistently so i mean i was really nervous um after the first episode, I really, really liked, like, the spaghetti western feel because, like, that's what Star Wars originally, like, to me, the original trilogy 
was so like I loved the the space western feel of it um and so kind of returning to that root those roots of it being more gritty like you were saying a little more grounded and kind of seeing how like the post-war affected you know the little people and not just like the Jedi which we see all the time in the Jedi you know are great and it's fascinating following that but it was really nice to see kind of everything else that exists in Star Wars because it's such an expansive universe that all of the movies have been centralized just around pretty much like the Jedi and the Sith so to see kind of these other species and races interacting with one another I, I really liked it I, I thought Peter Pascal did good I liked Carl Weather you know I thought it was a good cast obviously Baby Yoda was super adorable so I enjoyed it I'm excited for the next season and that's how I feel I enjoyed it um, a lot I really liked um the main plot episodes, especially some of the Adventure of the Weeks could be a little hit and miss. But the good thing about Adventure of the Week episodes is, is that, OK, maybe one episode sucks, but then the next episode can still be good. And just like I said before, I'm drawing comparisons to another show that I'm watching right now. But Picard right now is every episode is basically focused on the main plot. And the problem is that the main plot, in my opinion, kind of sucks and is poorly executed. And that kind of sometimes demonstrates the limits of serialized storytelling versus episodic storytelling, which is uh, if the main plot sucks, then you're stuck with it for 8, 12, 20 episodes. And uh, I think having a little bit of variety and things breaking up the main plot was good for Mando, uh, even if not every episode was out of the park. I think we'll probably talk about how, I mean, MJ, I think you and I agree that the Tatooine episode isn't exactly the best one. But this one, it, it was like, okay, it, it wasn't the greatest, but it also didn't go and damage anything and make the rest of the season suck by any means. And so it also ended in a really good place. And so that also makes me have warm feelings towards it. So overall, I thought it was a big success. Um, there's always you know, the danger of Disney blowing it because they've blown it before with these movies. But um, they did a good job with this. And I did like seeing a different side of Star Wars and Maybe they need to get away from the mythological stuff because they've been really, really bad at it. Because I think that the gritty Star Wars that they've done, for the most part, has been better than the not-so-gritty, more fantastical stuff. Yeah, I think... Uh, mm-hmm. uh, oh, also, um, everyone's doing little home projects because we're all stuck in our houses. So uh, if you guys hear a drill happening, that's my neighbor. Um, that, that just started while Mike was talking and I was on mute. So, um, <clears throat> I'll do what I can with that guys. Uh, so I thought it was really consistent. Like you said, I think Favreau who wrote the majority of the episodes, I think it's one of the best things he's ever done. Um, yes. yeah, I, I agree. Th- his grasp and knowledge of star Wars was really impressive. Um, mm-hmm. And I felt like, you know, the kind of the combination of him and Dave Filoni was really, like, smart. Um, yes, they work well together. They work very well together. I think they both have similar sensibilities just in general. But then when you get them on something... I didn't know Favre was as big of a Star Wars nerd as he clearly is. Right, um, yeah. And so seeing, like... Because you know Dave Filoni is, for, for the most part. Like, most people in the fandom know him as, like, the guy, Right. And uh, to see them, like, work together, I thought created a really unique, really fun, really entertaining season of television that takes place in a universe that I've always liked 
right? Or I've, I've always loved, I love Star Wars, but like, it's never been my pet franchise, but I was hype on this show, man. Like every episode mm-hmm. I was looking forward to. And I think every episode is pretty good. Like, yeah, there's some that are weaker, but it's like Mike said, if they're an adventure of the week, you get a new setting next week. Um, sure. And then it felt very like, the I think tonally, the feel of the spaghetti Western kind of outsider, maybe a little unsavory uh, mm-hmm. characters came through so nice. And yeah, the show's like really violent, which was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> <It> was really- <laughs> crazy but it's easily the most violence i've ever seen in anything star wars um yeah and you know i because like my my wife's a teacher and in the first episode the first introduction to mando he like cuts a dude in half with a door and yeah Kristen was like my kids have seen this <laughs> um, and then it got like we'll talk about the finale episode but the finale episode has like three banger action sequences in it and it's only like 40 minutes Mm -hmm. another thing i loved the episodes are like half an hour which is awesome Um, yeah i actually liked that (laughs) (laughs) yes and and i thought i thought peter pascal was really good i know there was some criticism the biggest criticism i saw of the show early on was that it's hard to connect to mando because he keeps the helmet on for the majority Mm -hmm. of the the show I felt like that wasn't really a problem. I didn't have a problem dealing with that. I felt like I knew where he was coming from. I felt like I knew what he was thinking or feeling or how he was reacting to certain situations um, just based on yeah. his body language in scene to scene. Um, mm-hmm. I felt like he gave the character a really good interior life, especially having to not use his face. Yeah. I think by the end of well, there's, it, you totally saw where he, they were going with it. And uh, mm-hmm. he he like solidified the decision to keep him under the mask for the most part. And I understood where his character was coming from. I have some problems with a little bit with the execution of his character, but uh, we can get into it a little bit later. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, as far as like the, the mask thing, um, I mean, there's such a rich history in like theater and performance of like, whether it's Kabuki or no, or even like Commedia dell'arte of people performing fully masked. Yeah. And it, it really is, it's so about, like, body language and your tone and everything else that you're showing. Because I think, like, so much of American theater and, and film and television especially is so in the face, which is great. Because our faces are obviously very expressive tools. But I think a lot of actors rely too heavily on that. And so for him to have to rely solely on just, like, his body and his line delivery, I'm with you. Like, I I think there were times when it's, like, maybe the direction could have been better or or you know for specific scenes but for the most part i thought he did a good job it's like you could really read in his body language what he was thinking what he was feeling so i i thought he did a, a great job and with a hard task to have to act with a mask on the entire time yeah and then i want to kind of to tag up on that the other big character in the show is is the child baby Yoda, yeah. um, <laughs> who doesn't talk um also here's my impression of every creative meeting uh when they showed john favreau concept art for baby yoda cuter damn it yeah. Um, <laughs> and i had seen the pictures of him but i hadn't really seen him in action or whatever and was i was adorable. kind of i was kind of like initially really cynical about it because it was just like another disney-fied like mm. eye eye and ear to head ratio mm-hmm. um you know like baby dory and finding dory yeah was just like come on guys um <clears throat> But then seeing the character in action, I thought 
it was great. Uh, maybe it's because it was a puppet for the most part. That puppet mm-hmm. was really impressive. Yeah. Uh, first of all. But I also felt like they did a super good job because the the, the child is 50 years old, right? Right. Um, <clears throat> and so I thought they did a really good job of showing that, you know, and then if you math it out, like Yoda was 900, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So he was like 17 when he died. Um, <laughs> but but uh, uh, it, I thought they did a really good job showing that like just because he's 50 and like the development of speech or like cog- uh, has not affected his cognition or intellect necessarily. Yeah. Um, because he's clearly, clearly force sensitive and we see him use the force several times like in proper situations, but he still has some other learning to do. Like we see him choke Gina Carano at one point because she's arm wrestling with Mando. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like every time they cut to him, they did a good job. Like whoever was puppeteering him or animating him or whatever, they did a good job making it clear that he like kind of understands how he should be reacting to that situation. Like mm-hmm. he's not like yeah. an actual baby where it's like everything right. is new to him, but it's like, he, he very much like can, his intellect is there enough to understand like, Oh, Mando's in trouble. Yeah. Or, or oh I might be in trouble or oh I'm safe now or mm-hmm. you know and while still also giving him the like adorable childlike impulses of like wanting to play with the little ball that's <laughs> on one of Mando's gears or levers for his his ship or whatever um so I thought that that character even had like a pretty good interior life uh what I will say for both characters in television you have a lot more time um yeah you have a lot more time to tell your story. I don't think they did a great job filling in the backstories for these characters at all. Mm. Uh, you get a little bit with, with Mando and you, you, by the end of it, you kind of know where, where he started and how he became a Mandalorian and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for a lot of it, I just felt like I don't know where they're coming from, you know, like what, how they mm. ended up here. And that's something I would have liked to have known. Sure. Yeah, I think they withheld it maybe a little too long. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason why I think the last episodes are stronger than the other ones is because they finally mm-hmm. get to the meat of what we've been watching. But I can also say that's very frustrating. And I'm not a big fan of withholding that information from a writing standpoint until the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I, you know, it, it will inform and serve the rest of this series because we know it's going to go on now for more seasons. Right. Sure. So, it's it's not like a, that big of a deal in the scheme of things. I, one of my issues with the Mando character, at least, is um, I feel like they're having their cake and eating it too a little bit in terms of they're going obviously for that Clint Eastwood, man with no name, wanderer mm-hmm. type character. But he talks like a little too much to be that character. Mm. And at the same time, they're trying to kind of be like he's a badass but then the story of the episodes sometimes portray him as like an idiot. Like he's just a moron sometimes in these <laughs> episodes. Like he gets he gets duped like quite a few times by people and conned by them when he really should know better. And he's kind of getting his ass kicked a lot by different characters. Like there's not that many fights that he actually kind of walked away from being like clearly the better person with, with the exception of his armor saving his butt. Um, and, and that was something that kind of bothered me throughout is like, you write like a character who's kind of a badass, but then like the writing kind of betrays that he's 
not as experienced as he probably should be given his reputation and his supposed skill. And so sometimes that bothered me, which is like his background doesn't match the sense with his actions. And I, I feel like some of that might just be sloppy writing or sloppy direction, but I always kind of felt like I didn't have a good grasp on, okay, so is he like an inexperienced noob or is he really like a badass? but why do people respect him? And I always had that tension going throughout the entire episode or show, depending on what he did as a result of sometimes his incompetence. Did anybody else kind of pick up on any of those things? I didn't. Um, I felt like when people were addressing him as like the, like particularly with the respect that his position held or whatever, um, it was almost more of his intellect, which I guess, you know, he should know better when he's getting conned, but it was more of like his ability to like, pick up on stuff and like put two and two together and uh do that more than his actual like prowess in battle like Mm -hmm. i i didn't like when characters were talking to him about him and like like how he carries his station it seemed Mm -hmm. more to do with his brain than his brawn um and so and so i think we get to see that and we just see it like kind of backfire on him maybe a little too much but like i'm thinking about the the in the second episode, he there's this fight on a sand crawler, and yeah. he uh, he he like clearly knows what he's doing, and like he's climbing all over the sand crawler, and then he gets to the top of it, and there's a bunch of Jawas at the top, and he's just outnumbered, and they shoot him, and he falls yeah. off the sand crawler. And I think that's something that like he can and can't account for at the same. Like I think that's just like a variable thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I I felt like there were situations like that where he was just like, and he was like pissed off because they had raided his his uh, ship and stolen a bunch of parts and stripped it and stuff. So he was maybe not operating from like the best place. Um, yeah. To go and do that, but then I think when like push came to shove, like later in the in the later in episode eight specifically, when he's when they're kind of on lockdown from space Gus Fring and. Uh, they set up like the e-web cannon and they formulate the plan to, you know, IG-11 comes and saves them or whatever. (coughs) IG-11 comes and like, comes in with Baby Yoda and shoots a bunch of the stormtroopers and they formulate the plan. Like he's super competent in that. And he's super competent in the first episode where he goes and saves the child, right? Where he has to first team up with IG-11. So, I think when he knows what he's up against, he knows how to mitigate that. And that's where, and that's how people know him because he's a bounty hunter. So he's taking these bounties. He kind of knows the situation he's going into when it comes to his bounties. Um, But I think when he's forced to improvise a little bit more, he's less good at that. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's a good way of characterizing it. It's I'm more thinking about kind of like the middle pack of episodes where He's kind of like on the prison ship, for example. He kind of gets duped. I mean, he gets out of it, but it, and like he just he gets his ass kicked by like robots too. Like, like he, yeah. he doesn't get he like he gets like shot by them first sometimes, and it feels like the show's trying to portray him as like a John Wick, like ultra competent badass sometimes. But then like the actual staging of the choreography and his decision making and all that stuff makes him seem like he's getting his ass kicked more than like you think that someone whose reputation would have. Versus other characters, like other characters aren't getting shot. I mean, because they would die. Versus him, where he has armor. You know what I mean? Right. Like, 
it, it's I know it's like a minor thing, but it's just like to me, it kind of contributes to this weird sense of well, who is this guy? Like, is he good at what he does? Am I supposed to be feeling like he's like in charge of things or not? Sometimes it's a minor thing, but I don't want to dwell on it too much. I was gonna yeah. say for me, it kind of played into the fact that he's not like true Mandalorian. Like, he's not somebody who was raised from birth within this thing. Like, the fact that he even took Baby Yoda instead of killing him like shows like his his humanity as opposed to if he had been like a true you know Mandalorian bounty hunter. So and I I don't know that they put that much thought into it where it's like oh let's have, let him get his ass kicked a little bit more because he's not like fully there. But to me like it kind of worked in that sense like just but I mean again but kind of like we were saying earlier kind of withholding the information for so long. I don't know that did we know until like the last episode or two that he was even not fully Mandalorian that he was a foundling. Like I feel like that wasn't revealed until very very late. But I, I could be misremembering. It was like there because every time he got like uh, new armor or new pieces for his armor forged, there was like flashbacks, uh-huh. and it kind of like clued in that something was up with him. But it didn't say it didn't confirm either way that he was or was not ma- like born into born on Mandalore, or born into Mandalorian yeah. society. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I think <laughs> you know in that prison episode though, he's not anticipating doing a job with the guys. Yeah. Uh, so I think that goes to more of like he just shows up because he's looking for safe refuge because he's stolen Baby Yoda, sure, and right. he's then forced into like Space Bilber, uh, <laughs> like doing a mission with him. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe there's ways of rationalizing it, but it's just something that kind of like bothered me throughout. Um, sure, not like like I said a huge thing, but. And in general, like I did like those two characters. I mean, something that bothered me more, and I liked. You know Gina Carino and Carl Weathers, but there were some like I thought kind of atrocious like side characters, um, like the mechanic chick on Tatooine. Oh, you know that what was it? Tatooine. Amy Sedaris. She was, yeah. like, in my opinion, yeah, I thought she was awful. Honestly, I didn't, I didn't like then, her either. And then like the douchebag, like young um, hotshot. I love that guy. guy. <laughs> oh man, I I did not like him at all. He felt like a giant miscast to me. It felt like uh, Favreau. And uh, Falani were kind of like casting some of their buddies without mm. like kind of haphazardly without really thinking about like the tone or anything like that. And it, it took me out of it sometimes with those characters. Mm. It was hard with the comedic performers in particular. Yes. Yeah. Like, Brian Fassain is in the first episode and it completely like I was kind of mad because yep. um, he showed up and I was just like, oh, it's Brian Fassain. Like stupid like this is so dumb he gets eaten by a space walrus almost immediately yeah um but then like the guy the bounty he's there to pick up in that first episode in like that brian posein drops him off of the ship is horatio sands but he's in alien makeup so it's fine yeah Yeah. i didn't even realize it was him to be honest yeah i didn't either i was like that guy's voice sounds kind of familiar and then like at the beginning of episode eight when it's like adam pally and jason sudeikis are playing stormtroopers that was fine because their faces are hidden but then, right. in like, the, I had a hard time with the Bill Burr episode. I had a hard time with that episode because yeah. he was just like himself. Like, <laughs> he didn't even try to not be Bill Burr. He just like was <laughs> had, he had like a being a Boston accent. <laughs> and I was what? just like, what? Where? What that, that... space Boston are you from, man? Yeah, like like Star Wars has always kind of maintained more of a distance from that kind of stuff. Like people talking more colloquially um, yeah. in, 
And so having some scenes like that or characters like that kind of took me out of it a little bit more. Um, Mm -hmm. Going back to the first episode, even that guy who you were talking about who was in the alien makeup, the first bounty, um, Mm -hmm. he he also kind of talked like a normal person, which kind of took me out of it too. Like he didn't have like a weird voice modulator or filter or anything. He just kind of talked like a dude in the 21st century, and that just Mm kind of bothered me a little bit sometimes. It reminds me of our complaint from uh, Captain Marvel with, like, the way that they were, like, chaff, like, English dudes, like, the aliens, rather than being, you know, different. Like, it's just weird. It's weird when you try to make them too, like, it's American. Like, they seem just really, like, American dudes, which is a weird thing. So, yeah, it it does kind of take you out a bit. Yeah, and then just, like, trying to, I actually did kind of like it, um, because, you know, Bill Burr is known for being a little off-color as a podcaster and comedian. And I like that they did try to kind of write that into it because Bill Burr is probably not the strongest actor in the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, there's a scene where he makes fun of Mando for ta- not taking the mask off, and he like calls him a gungan, and then does like what would be a super offensive gungan accent at him. <laughs> uh, and I thought that was like a pretty good way to like write around the fact that you don't have a strong performer. So even mm-hmm. in stuff like that, it wasn't too bad. Plus, he's only there for one episode, right? Um, I like Nick Nolte. He was good. Nick Nolte was great. Awesome. Yeah. No complaints there. Yeah. Yeah. Like the people who eventually comprised kind of the team at the end of it were Mm -hmm. all solid. And I liked all those characters. Yeah. I was like, I did too. Kind of the people outside of that. I mean, and Warner Hartsog and Space Gus Spring were both good too. The bad guys were fine. (laughs) Um, But what is Space Gus Spring's name? Moth something. uh, Uh, Moth, uh, Moth Gideon, I think. Yeah, that's what it was. It was Gideon. Yeah, it didn't matter. He's always whispering. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Werner Herzog really took me out of it. I could not take him seriously. I because he's you know he's kind of baby's first art house director. Like if you're like a film person who wants to get into that kind of stuff, everyone says like start with like uh, Fitzcarraldo or like a Geary of the Wrath of God or something, um, and then from there you kind of go into his documentaries, which he narrates all the time. And um, so I, you know, I got really into Werner Herzog's filmography in my early 20s. And so his voice is burned in my brain, just like, <laughs> like these very solemn, sobering meditations on the human condition. And then he's just like saying Star Wars words. And <laughs> I was like, what? I'm saying like, stuff I like, I want to see the baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, couldn't, I couldn't like... uh wrap my head around him agreeing to do something like that in the first place. Um, I just like, he's, he's operated so far outside of like the studio system that I was surprised he was in a Disney thing, but he's also like, he's the bad guy in the first Jack Reacher movie for some reason too. Uh, And it was really weird. So yeah, I don't know. There were great stories. Like he said, he cried the first time he saw baby Yoda the most Werner Herzog thing I've ever heard and then he said that um he said that because they would do like multiple takes with the puppet and then multiple takes without the puppet to see if they needed to CGI any movements for Baby Yoda and he yelled at Jon Favreau and only like he would only do his scenes with the puppet yeah which is great he he called him a coward uh, which is hilarious he told Perfect. him, we'll do it with the puppet. Stop being a coward. <laughs> Which is also the most Werner Herzog story. <laughs> so I liked that. 
but uh, it was just weird to see him in something like this. And then did you even see him like doing press for something like this? Mm. Um, was bizarre. I liked Space Gus a lot. He was really good. Yeah. Really good. That dude is just so... He's just so charismatic, man. Like, mm-hmm. there's just something... Yeah. He's so compelling to watch. Yeah. Uh, Such a good and, villain, like always. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like how they put up that he was totally psychotic, and they, everyone who worked for him kind of knew that he was psychotic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was like a nice little touch there because he was obviously insane. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it, it, it was great. And then I liked, one of the things I liked about Space Nolte was that uh, the puppet mouth barely matched up with the voice performance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought that was a yeah. great touch, man. Like, I don't know <laughs> if it was on purpose or what, but I loved that. Yeah. It, it brought back like those, old feelings of star wars you know watching Mm -hmm. like these puppets from the 80s and yeah they're a little goofy and janky and off but there's something that feels like very lived in about them and yeah i mean regardless of how crazy Werner hartzog might be he there's some truth to that puppetry thing that he was talking about which is uh like there's more life in that puppet than there is in a cg abomination that they could construct Mm -hmm. and uh go ahead and you see, you see, you can, you can obviously see when they CG Baby Yoda, but it's pretty minimal. Like, I, yeah. I thought they did a good job, like, clearly delineating, like, okay, this is something we cannot do with a puppet. Like, right. it would be too cost restrictive, or maybe something happened with the puppet and we need to get the shot or whatever. But, like, I thought they did a good job minimizing the amount they did have to CGI him instead of just like, oh, it's an action sequence, just put him in CGI here. Right. Yeah. Um... um. Oh, Taika, Taika Waititi yeah, as IG-11. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah, he was great. He's he great. was great. And they put a voice modulator on him because he's got a very distinctive voice and an accent. Sure. It almost, yeah. I didn't know who it was at first. Like, I, I was going through a few different actors and I was like, oh, it's Taika. That was, like, he did a great job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking uh, of Taika. He did go really ahead. good. No, did he did really good as an actor. And then as a director, he also did pretty well. He directed mm. the crap out of the last episode, you guys. Mm-hmm. Man. Yeah. Ooh, it's so good. It really is. Uh, I was rewatching it this morning. It was excellent. <laughs> it's so good. Every like that that episode of television is borderline perfect. Like, especially for like an action adventure series the way Mando is. Yeah. It's really I thought it was so good from the beginning. Like, I think the beginning was a cool way to uh like let Taika do his like improv comedy stuff that mm-hmm. he likes to do. Um, Cause it's a very kind of cold open with the two stormtroopers that have kidnapped baby Yoda. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't really affect the main plot and it's like real jokey and it's a little out of place, but it's great. Like the jokes are really solid. There's a really mm-hmm. great gag of them like trying to shoot a potted plant or like a potted <laughs> flower and they can't, they can't hit it. And then when IG 11 shows up, he like shoots out in point blank and he still misses. <laughs> and uh i just thought that was a super good gag and then ig11 just brutalizes both of them which mm-hmm. i also thought was like really funny um but th- like that's not really in the rest of the episode sure and i think they did a good job not making ig11 uh into just kind of like um korg 2.0 yeah yeah it but you had a funny little bit. It didn't affect the story, 
Mm-hmm. So it was acceptable. It didn't cut, undercut the drama the way it felt like sometimes Thor Ragnarok, they have a yeah. yeah. joke that just totally undercut the drama. So it was the right apportionment of humor and mm-hmm. also serious action. Well, and the humor, I feel like, fit. Like, I, right. I don't know, like when, not last, no, it was Last Jedi. When Last Jedi starts with uh, Oscar oh, Isaac, like, I, punking uh, Admiral Weasley uh, or whatever his name is, it was just like, right away, it. It, it was... <laughs> It was so, like, totally, like, different. It wasn't, like, a Han Solo, like, quip. It was just, like, this is dumb. Like, and, and there's so much regality, I feel like, to the, the Skywalker saga. But this, everything has been so grounded and gritty that it was just, like, it seemed like regular Joe Schmo humor that the Stormtroopers would have. And the fact that it was just Stormtroopers, people we already kind of don't respect very much. So it's not, like, undermining the major villains like they've they've done before with a lot of other shit, with uh, whether it's Star Wars or Ragnarok. So, yeah, it just kind of fit. And like you said, I think it was like the perfect amount. So, and there, I mean, there were a few little jokes sprinkled in throughout, but it wasn't like beating you over the head like we've seen before. Mm-hmm. And if that's what we have to like deal with to get to the, some of the really good stuff in that episode, yeah. is the crazy set piece involved in the TIE fighter, just some of that stuff was so ridiculous good. for a TV show. Oh, yeah. Pull- yeah. Yeah. And that was the thing is like, I, you know, yeah, they have Disney money, right? But right. I, and it, it, it clearly shows. It looks better than some movies. But oh, yeah. uh, it they they also, like, spent the budget, I think, really wisely. Like, there's a, a great scene in episode two where he has to go and fight the Mudhorn. And you see the start of the fight happen in the Mudhorn cave. And you just see it from, like, Baby Yoda's perspective. Mm-hmm. And you see just kind of the laser blast instead of this, like, having to do this, like, dark strobe light effect with a Mudhorn puppet or whatever. They just, mm-hmm. like, cut the corner on the budget there. So, but then it allowed them, that stuff allowed them to do stuff like the ATST set piece. Yeah. Um, which is also great in episode four, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, which I also really like that episode because I'm a sucker for, like, the lone samurai Ronin yes. goes in and helps, happens. yeah, helps the town. Oh, is that uh, the one with the villagers? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that was great. That was good. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i a sucker for that, like, storyline in general. It's so cliche, but, man, it's <laughs> it works. I love it. And so um, that episode's dude. really good. There's a super cool showdown with the ATST and, like, mm-hmm. the villagers, and it's it, it's really good. It's it's a good – it's the introduction of Gina Carano's character. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in episode eight, like, it felt like Taika was like, okay, I will make one of your Star Wars episodes, but – I'm going to make it like a John Wick movie mm-hmm. because there's a super cool shootout outside of the, uh, the little tavern where they're, um, they're holed up and mm-hmm. like Mando gets the e-web cannon and just like goes to town with it. And he like gets a showdown with, uh, space Gus and he just like shoots the power unit for it and explodes. And I thought that was, I actually thought that was really good um showing mm-hmm. that like Mando he can't account for everything that this guy this guy's gonna do because he's a little more unhinged. Yeah. Um, and then the freaking TIE Fighter Rodeo mm-hmm. was so cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um that episode I think does is really satisfying because they make a big deal out of him getting his signet. Um <clears throat> which is, you know, like a sign that you're a true Mandalorian or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, he gets the signet, but he also means he gets the jetpack. Yep. And I thought throughout the course of the series, 
the way they use Mandalorian jetpacks was so dope. Yes. Yeah. yeah they, they made them really cool. And, uh, you know, like it's something that you expect because Boba Fett and Jango Fett had it, but it felt earned and mm-hmm. kind of exciting when you got to see it. So like, it was like you're watching it for the first time each time, which was cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for as cool looking as Boba Fett is, and that's why you would want to explore that character, he, he kind of sucks, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's very actually... ineffectual. Yes, and that's something that, like, is one of the greatest decisions about this show is that they decided not to make it about him. Yeah, yeah thank God. Yeah, uh, I think so, too. I think they just took the idea of what... I think you have a... I think people have, like, a an idea of what Boba Fett is, not what he actually was. Yes. And so I think they took the idea of what he is and made that the character. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it was it was really smart and good. Um, but then seeing like it, it just felt like I don't know that 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 scene was great with the him getting the signet because it's very satisfying to see him finally get it by the end of the, it's like a one of the only payoffs that is set up early in the series with the character. Mm-hmm. Um, so to see it paid off in the first season is great, um, and then to see how he uses that immediately after is really really cool. Yeah. And then even the blacksmith woman gets a super cool action se- sequence. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, she did. When the stormtroopers come in and she just, like, shatters their bones with a hammer. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> yeah like, It was crazy violent. Uh, <laughs> and I loved it. <laughs> um, and just, it, it was super cool because she didn't, like, use a gun. She used the elements that she's used to working with. Yeah, like the forge uh, and all, yeah, the hammer, like you said. Yeah, uh, I yeah, I I I love that episode, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was a really great episode, and um, watching kind of going back to the streaming debate versus or binging versus weekly kind of debate. Um, one of the things that I think was a little frustrating watching it week to week was there was a stretch in the middle couple of episodes where on some forums. And message boards and Twitter, some people were getting a little frustrated around episodes like five and six, because mm-hmm. that's like the third episode is very, the first three episodes in general are very like kind of all following the same plot. And mm-hmm. then four, five, and six are very much kind of standalone-ish. Yeah. Um, and then seven and eight bring it back kind of to the main plot again. There was some frustration around the fifth and sixth episode of oh no, is this just going to be some standalone, like every episode is a weekly adventure and nothing's going to tie in? And 7 and 8 kind of brought it all together, I think, for people. And it kind of justified, okay, like you can have little standalone adventures here and there too, and you can still get some characters from those adventures, like Gina Carino's character, for example, and and have them matter in the overall plot too. And it it kind of made it feel like um, it was justifying some of the decisions that, that they made earlier on and validated, I mean, even though I like the village episode, some people thought it was weaker um, mm-hmm. and, and it validated those episodes as not being like a waste of time, which I like. Yeah. But I, I don't know. My pushback on that is people don't really have that same complaint about cowboy bebop. Right. Yeah. I totally mm. agree. Well, I think, I think the thing is that the first three episodes set up this expectation of, Oh, this is all telling one story because it sure. was up until then. So you have three episodes, you had, you know, two or three weeks of people kind of expecting one story being told, and then they get taken out of it. 
and now that people maybe understand that this is the structure of the show, that you're, you're going to get some plot-relevant episodes, but then you're also going to get some that are just kind of little adventures here and there. Maybe people can deal with that more. And, yeah. Uh, but I agree. It was a little frustrating week to week listening to that because, like, I don't think I need every episode tying into the main plot. I think that would be kind of stupid, honestly. Sure. Also, it does. It's all generated by him trying to find a safe space for the baby. Right, or get money or something like that. Yeah, so to me, they all tie together. It's just they're showing different sides of, of it, and and you know, maybe you don't have that character be relevant you know, just the second, but you know that the prison people are going to show back up again and cause trouble. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and like, but, like Bobby Cannavale's son is not going to show up again because he, he dies, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. He's the he's the douchey bounty hunter guy. Uh, right. And, you know, so that that was maybe a little more throwaway. But mm-hmm. I one one of the things I liked about this, one of the things I want to touch on is don't really care about Tatooine anymore. Thanks. Yeah. New Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I liked the way this show used it because one as a bounty hunter, he's going to be operating mainly in the Outer Rim planets anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. Two, uh, I felt like the fan service stuff that was in it wasn't in your face. Like, he goes mm-hmm. to Mos Eisley, right? And it's, like, got a robot bartender, and he sits in the same booth that Greedo and Han sit in. But the, at no point is there, like, a big music swell to yeah. point out that that's what's happening. Um, right. And I think that's a good way to do that, because... Mm-hmm. And that was, I think that was one of the Dave Filoni episodes, um, mm-hmm. or at least one that he wrote. Uh, yeah, I think it's the one he directed also. Okay. Yeah, he directed the first one and the fifth one, I think. And yeah. uh, obviously a guy who loves Star Wars and he wanted his like moment on Tatooine. But I thought like it was such a stark contrast between like how J.J. Abrams does his fan service. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, how Dave Filoni is like really smart about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And even the scenes in that move the plot of that episode forward too. Like yeah. it's not just like, remember this, remember mm-hmm. this, remember. Cause JJ Abrams mm-hmm. does it like a, like the Chris Farley character on SNL when he's interviewing Paul McCartney and he's just get like sweaty palms that he's rubbing on his legs. And he's just like, mm-hmm. remember when you were on Tatooine? That was awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. So I think that that this, you know, and they even mentioned like the twin sons, like they talk about like the sons have gone down or whatever, but it's more mm-hmm. so that they can get in, like infiltrate, to get the bounty um, under cover of night. Like it's not, he doesn't get his like double sunset the way JG like demanded it. Right. You know? right. Um so I thought even, you know, that's definitely the weakest episode overall, but I thought it was really interesting and especially in a post sky post rise of Skywalker episode or yeah. uh world to see how the uh the 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 fan service is like can be done pretty well and like not in your face and obnoxious. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, the thing is to me is that like Dave Filoni I guess maybe we should ask some context of who he really is, because he's the guy who's basically done the Clone Wars cartoons mm-hmm. and Star Wars Rebels and the Resistance thing that hasn't been as well received. But um, he's kind of like appointed as George's protege in some ways to like kind of steward the franchise with these different TV projects. And so he's been helping write and direct this. Um, 
I think he demonstrates the difference between someone who's like a casual fan, like J.J. Abrams might claim to be, yeah. um, you know, and someone who actually kind of li- lives and breathes and understands this shit. Because yeah. it's not just about like lazy callbacks. It's because like he likes this world and he he like wants to further it and explore more about it. And so it, I, it doesn't feel like just this remember this jab in your sides the way Abrams does it, but actually something like, well, yeah, like they're going to go to this backwards planet because they need to get away from people, you know, kind mm-hmm. of thing. The last thing I want to talk about, uh, well, there's two things I want to talk about and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Uh, the first thing has to do with this season specifically. Mm-hmm. The music is so good. Oh, yeah. Guys. yeah. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> it's, it's, it, I mean, it's certainly better than anything John Williams wrote for the new trilogy. Yeah, um, oh yeah, it really is. Oh yeah, but it's the credit, I mean, it, the theme for the credits especially. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, so good. No, it the, gets you hyped each time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That Mando theme is so good, mm-hmm. and just like the way they use it in the in the editing of the episodes to like signify like, hey, he's gonna he's gonna do some dope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is, is off really to go on another adventure or something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It feels very like it. I, it's so good. It's just like every, even just the like interstitial walking music is really, yeah. like, really good. There's there's a, a a music cue in the first episode, I think, um, when he's just like riding the creature with space yes. multi to the to the uh, the the spaceport where he's got to find Baby Yoda. And it's yeah. really memorable and good. And it's literally just like bumper music, basically, <laughs> for them to walk to. Um, no, that was like, that, uh, he's Ludwig Gorenson or whatever. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. He's the creep. Yeah. He did Panther also, which is also one of the better Marvel scores. Oh, which one? I agree. Uh, Black Panther. Oh. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> Oh, uh-huh. that's the reaction I had when Mike told me he did the Creed movies as well. <laughs> He's really good, and yeah. he has his own identity, and it doesn't actually fit that much with John Williams, but I liked that. It, it yeah. was like its own thing for once, and it fit. It was a little off-putting at first, but it was like, no, actually this works within this franchise, this particular story. Yeah, well, it's, it's like the whole thing itself is you really need to kind of lean like really hard against it if that's what you're trying to do like i think the further you can make it from seeming just like another replication of the skywalker saga with the same type of because even rogue one which i really liked like the music was so similar to uh, and i I did like the soundtrack for rogue one but it was still really 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 similar to like the whole you know john williams skywalker thing so it's yeah i kind of like when they lean far against that Yeah, I I think with Rogue One though it's better. It's it because it fits into the Skywalker saga like directly or whatever. Yeah, um, that makes sense. I, I think that it's you know makes more consistent sense. or it, yeah. it should be more consistent. Um, but with this, it's kind of its own story. Mm-hmm. And with that being said, uh, we're recording this fortuitously a day after some casting news broke. Yeah. Uh, so Rosario Dawson is going to play Ahsoka Tano. Did I say mm-hmm. that right? Tano? Is it Tano? Yeah. Tano? I think so. Okay. I haven't seen yeah. the Clone Wars. I've only watched a couple episodes, so. <laughs> um, so she's going to play Ahsoka in the live-action version. First time she's going to be live-action, unless you count her voice in Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's going to be in season two of Mando. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Well, 
I think it's interesting. Uh, I mean, she's kind of uh, Dave Filani's little pet in- character in some ways, which mm-hmm. you can love or hate. Like, he really wants to protect her and use her in everything because she's basically been in everything that he's done. Yeah. Uh, it, I know the common reaction to her is that she, people didn't like her at first, but then by the end of Clone Wars, they really liked her, and she's actually one of the better characters now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I kind of agree with that. I haven't seen all of the Clone Wars. I know enough of it, and I've seen the episodes that she's shown up in in Rebels and stuff like that. And uh, she's a good character. I think she's going to make things interesting. I think it goes in signals that uh, they're going to progress the Baby Yoda plotline, finding the Jedi a little bit more than I was expecting, which is good. Because one of my fears is is that they're not going to go and do much with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're going to spend the entire season like trying to search for one Jedi, and then maybe they're going to find out like the princess is in another castle, like every episode, yeah. you know, and get sent on their merry way. So it demonstrates to me that they may be taking it a little more seriously as a result. Uh, one thing that I do have a problem with is, you know, you're introducing con- or cartoon characters, and I'm, I'm not somebody who's going to diss animation at all, but it's going to be off-putting for some people who mm-hmm. have kind of thus far dismissed the cartoons as being cartoons, and uh, to be told, oh yeah, by the way, Anakin had a apprentice who, uh, who was never seen in the movies, but just trust, trust us on this one, <laughs> and she's still alive and doing her own thing. It's going to be really off-putting, and I'm interested to see how they balance that with people. Yeah, I, I don't know. I like the character from when I've watched the show. I have no issue with her. It, a couple things, like I, I like what you said, Mike. I, I do think there's going to be kind of a weird, I don't know. It's, it's going to be a weird transition moving her from being animated to being live action. And like Rosario Dawson, she's she's a fine actress. I'm sure she'll do fine. But I don't know. I like one of the things I like so much about Mandalorian is that the characters are unique and new and that it's not trying to like ham fist some character that we already know. Like, hey, Lando's old, but we're going to put him back in here because reasons <laughs> like I, I don't know. I'm, I'm nervous about putting in an already established character. But I think the fact like that she is from the series that I think not as many people have watched like not your I feel like your casual Star Wars fans aren't really watching Clone Wars as much uh or or the Rebels or anything so in that sense I guess she will be kind of new to a lot of people so I I don't know I'm like of two minds it could either be really good or it could be really awful and I'm just like I don't know I I mean it's, it's it's exciting I guess I do like the character so that's that's nice I'm a little nervous about them introducing Jedi into the Mandalorian because one of my favorite things about it is that it takes place pretty far removed from all that. Um, So I just think it's going to be a tough needle to thread for me um, to introduce characters like that because one of my favorite things about even the people who have seen Baby Yoda use the Force uh, yeah. is that they kind of don't know what it is. Like, they, they're kind of like, what the shit? What is that? Wh- how did that happen? Like, and there's only a handful of people who know, like, Nolte Alien knew that it was the Force when he saw it choke Gina Carano um, and stuff. So, I don't know. Introducing Jedi to Mandalorian, not my favorite idea, but I also haven't seen anything in the output of season one to make me not trust that it will be done well. So, no, I actually share your fear about that. And I think uh, Disney thus far has shown that they're not very competent at handling um, Jedi or spiritual anything very well so far during their tenure. But I trust maybe 
Favreau and Filani a little bit more to do it, but it definitely could throw off the dynamic. I mean, certainly the action scenes. Uh, yeah. It's going to be not, not as impressive to watch the Mando do stuff when you have this Jedi character running around fighting. So I'm interested to see how they do it. Uh, I agree with you that this creative team, I think, has maybe earned a little bit of trust, but I definitely have that concern with you as well. Mike, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> Did Missy disappear? <laughs> no, she... I'm here. Okay, sorry, I'm here. Oh, okay. I couldn't okay. for a little bit. Oh, all right. Okay. We should go and uh, wrap it up then. <laughs> yeah, I think that'll do it then because we're having connection problems. Uh, well, thanks Stupid for uh, joining us on... <laughs> yeah, thanks for joining us on the uh, the last ever Real Perspective. No. Um... <laughs> Yeah, you've got uh, some editing on your hands there for the last little bit, but otherwise, it's been good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, we'll be back with more regularity than we were. Uh, there aren't movies, so uh, I don't know what we'll talk about, but uh, we could do like a 2019 recap. Um, we never talked about Parasite or 1917. Ah, true. Uh, yeah, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we've got a couple of things we could talk about, though. Yeah, you know, yeah, Mike, for sure. Did you see one time in Hollywood? Yeah, I did. So oh. uh, we can talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I really want to know what the, you thought about that movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm a little unsure what to think about, to be honest with you. So <laughs> find out next time. <laughs> <laughs> I holy, moly, I want to know what you thought about that movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll be back ish more regularity like i said um uh for those of you who have been keeping up with um, the personal stuff going on with me i've been very vocal about it on my twitter uh thank you guys for your support um it really does mean a lot i'm glad to be back i'm glad i'm fine now um and uh yeah we're gonna we're gonna do something so see us soon uh did you guys want to do a netflix watch party we can. I'm not opposed to it. Yeah, maybe. I'd be down with that. I got nothing better to do. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, look for that. I'm going to try to get that out, this out soon, because, once again, nothing better to do. Uh, and just look on the Facebook page for details on that, Real Perspective on Facebook, and We'll create an event. We'll talk about it offline and figure it out. Um, yeah. Uh, until next time, uh, it's the end of the world as we know it. Yeah. Put in Eric Bernstein. <laughs>